Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, Transformed. This series will look at people's encounters with Jesus and see how He transformed their lives forever. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you again here. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. We're in the middle of this series called Transformed, and we've been looking in the scriptures at the lives of people that Jesus transformed their lives. And we've actually been hearing from real live people from our body who have shared with us how Jesus has transformed their lives, and we're going to do that again today. So would you give Cheryl Sheridan a warm Valleybrook welcome as she comes and shares her story? Good morning, church. This is how Jesus transformed my life. I was asked, what did your life look like before Jesus came into my life? The answer was simple. I was broken. I was physically broken. I was mentally broken. I was financially broken. And I was spiritually broken. I always prayed, went to Catholic church on and off when I was young, even when I was an adult. I knew God was present in my life, but at this time, I felt like God was silent. My health was declining uh, because of debilitating anxiety, severe adrenal fatigue, and heart issues. My mental health was afflicted by grave fear of the future, frightening thoughts, and my anxiety was at an all-time high. My financial situation was not good. I couldn't work. I was piling up debt. I had a failing business. And I was struggling with keeping up with the cost of running, keeping up a home um, as a single mom. I was spiritually lost and wasn't sure where God was. He was extremely silent. I actually searched for other things in the universe. I was not always making good choices. My sin, uh, sin was present in my life until one day my Christian best friend told me that maybe it was time to go back to church. So this broken girl walked into a new church, this church, and Jesus welcomed me home right in that back row. I fully surrendered my life to Jesus that day. Jesus met me where I was at, strategically, thoughtfully, and lovingly. He began to transform my broken life one day, one step at a time. I began to hold on my first favorite Bible verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He began to put Christian friends and mentors in my life. I have been given a gift of beautiful friendships with my sisters in Christ and a life-changing life group. My God's girls are out there. I see ya. <laughs> I dove into learning scripture and who Jesus is, who my heavenly father is, and how present the Holy Spirit is in my life every day. In fact, I do not miss a day of reading and meditating on scripture. It grounds me. He taught me the power of prayer as my health actually got worse before it got better. I had to lose um, the tight grip that I had, um, and he led me to the right doctors. My health began to improve. And I became both physically and mentally strong. 
Next, it came to enter back into the workforce. I look back now and the Holy Spirit was guiding me as I put together my resume after being out of the corporate workforce for 20 years. The first day I logged on to Indeed, I found the job that I would take just 20 days later, and I got it over nine other applicants. Through COVID and up to my current job, when God said move, I move. My, final, my financial restoration has been a journey of trust and trials, but he's always provided. I continue to put all my finances in his hands, in his control, and I know that he will not fail me. Lastly, and most importantly, spiritually, I am strong. Currently, I'm going through a very hard season. It's sort of a trifecta. The death of my dad, unexpectedly, and now a cousin the other day. Disappointment and uncertainty in my current job and awaiting a diagnosis. But Jesus is walking right beside me and I have no fear of what's to come. Why? Because I have gained a beautiful relationship with Jesus and I trust in the word of God and the promises that I've been shown time and time again over these last five years. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I've walked into total peace and freedom in Jesus. What a gift it is to be transformed by our one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. The reality is, is that uh, God can transform your life like he has Cheryl's. We thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that with us. And, and I, I do, I, because of what you shared with us, I do want to pray for you and, and for others who may be going through the same thing. So let me just start with a prayer. So Father, as we've heard Cheryl's story, uh, Lord, as she grieves the passing of her dad uh, and a cousin, uh, Lord, as uh, she awaits a diagnosis and uh, has employment issues, Lord, we just pray for peace for her and pray that you would just continue to guide. And that for all of us who may be experiencing the same things or similar things. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So today we're going to look in Scripture at the transformational life of uh, a woman, and we're going to see how Jesus was radical as he would challenge the status quo of first century Israel. Now, uh, I, I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but I'll share some scriptures. But if you have a Bible or a Bible app and you, and you won't uh, go on to Facebook and other things, turn to uh, John chapter 4 so you can follow along. So the, the story of this woman's transformation begins with Jesus and his disciples. They're, they're traveling through a region of Judea, which is in southern Israel. Uh, Jerusalem is in Judea. And uh, they are traveling to Galilee, which is in the northern region region of Israel. And and a little bit of information is important here because it it really helps us understand what's going on. Now, between Galilee and, and Judea is another region, and it's called Samaria. And the fastest route between two points is what? A straight line. And so the fastest way to get from the region of Judea to the region of Galilee is a straight line, which would mean going through the region of Samaria. But, but here's the issue. Samaritans and Jews did not get along, particularly in Jesus' day. And uh, Samaritans uh, were considered by Jews to be um, uh, half-breeds. 
you see that uh, uh, decades, centuries earlier, when Israel had been, uh, the northern part of Israel had been taken into captivity into Babylon, the Babylonian, uh, the Assyrians, excuse me, the Assyrians, the Assyrian kings sent people from other regions to come and live there, and, and they intermarried. And, and so the, the pure Hebrew bloodlines were uh, no longer pure. And you need to understand that, particularly in first century Judaism, uh, purity, um, uh, sin, uh, being pure from sin, uh, even ethnic purity was really a big deal. And, And so that's why the Jews of first century Israel and the Samaritans didn't get along. In fact, they were, the Samaritans were forbidden from going to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. So they worshiped on another place in Samaria. Um, now, from the Gospel of John, we learn that, that Jesus is traveling. He's a little bit ahead of the disciples, and he comes to the Samaritan town of uh, Sychar. And, and Sychar is famous because it's the location of Jacob's well. Now, Jacob is one of the Israelite patriarchs. Uh, we read about him in, in Genesis. Uh, Jacob bought this land that was near Sychar, and uh, it eventually, uh, eventually a well was dug there, and uh, so... It has historical significance to both the Israelites, the Jews, as well as to the Samaritans. Now, it's a hot day. Uh, John, in his gospel, tells us it's near noon. He's thirsty. He, he stops and sits down by the well. And what happens next is transformative. And so I, I want you to see that, that Jesus transforms us by accepting us. And that's what you're going to see that happens with this woman. So while he's sitting there by the well, hot and thirsty, a Samaritan woman comes to the well to get water for her household. And Jesus asked her if she would give him some water. Now, again, to our 21st century eyes and ears, we don't really see anything out of the ordinary here. But remember, Jews and Samaritans are, have a hostile relationship toward one another. And... and let me, let me pause here for a moment because I think sometimes, you know, we, we hear the phrase, the, the term, the good Samaritan, and we think, well, what's the matter with the Samaritans? You know, why, why are they considered uh, bad? You know, I've told you some of that historical stuff all, already, but here's the reason why the good Samaritan is called the good Samaritan. I'm just going to go on a temporary segue. The story of the good Samaritan is about uh, a man who is beaten and robbed, and he's a Jewish man, and several Jewish people walk by him and don't help him, but the last person who walks by is a Samaritan. And remember, Samaritans are hostile and, and Jews are hostile to one another. But the Samaritan does the good thing. He helps the man who has been beaten and robbed. And that's why Jesus told the story so that he would convict his Jewish audience to say, hey, wait a minute, these people are okay. And that's where we get the story of the Good Samaritan. So we go back here to the story about this woman who's come to the well. All right. Jesus and the Samaritan woman have this brief conversation. She is shocked. She's shocked that Jesus is speaking to her. And she's also shocked at his request. This is what she says. You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
So her shock is revealed by several things in her response. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. And as I've already told you, Jews and Samaritans don't get along with one another. In fact, the trek from Judea to Galilee uh, to cross that region directly would be a three-day trip. And uh, it was known that Samaritans would not offer hospitality to Jews who were traveling through. And, and remember, in that culture, in that region of the world at that time, giving people a place to stay and a meal to eat was just considered a common courtesy. But that's how hostile this relationship was. In, in fact, many Jews who had to make that trek would not go on that direct route between two points. They would actually go east cross the Jordan River into another region and go north until they were parallel with Galilee and then cross back over the Jordan River just to, just to avoid those awful and awkward relationships. So here's what's going on. Jesus is breaking the, the status quo of normal behavior. This woman is shocked because here's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman you know, Jews and Samaritans don't talk to one another, but even more so, a Jewish man wouldn't talk to a, a, a Samaritan woman, but then ramp that up even more that in that culture, a teacher, a rabbi, usually wouldn't actually speak to a woman in public unless it was his own wife. So, so Jesus is breaking more of the status quo and more of the cultural norms. Now, there's a few pieces of information revealed in this text from the story we know that uh, this, uh, only Jesus and this woman is at the well. And in the first century, gathering water was considered a household job for every woman to do. And uh, you have to ask yourself, okay, so if all the women from town would come and gather water, how come they are alone for such a long time to have this conversation? Well, think this one through. All right. In that culture, which is more warm than here, the best time to bring water to your household would have been the cool of the morning. And so all of the other women of town had already been there that morning to gather their water. But this woman is coming at noon. Why is she coming at noon? Because she wants to avoid interaction with the other women. And we'll learn more about that as we go deeper into the story. So she ha has chosen that, and that's important for us to under understand. Here's the second piece of information we get from the text, and it's the statement that John makes after the woman's question, which some modern translators sometimes put in parentheses. So in the New International Translation, it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, that translation is not actually a word-for-word -word translation. It's more of trying to explain the thought that's going on. A more literal translation would be, for Jews do not share vessels with Samaritans. Vessels, in other words, drinking cups or or whatever they use to get the water out of the well. And so, remember... Uh, Jews consider Samaritans to be half-breeds. Uh, they then consider them to be ritually unclean. And, and so they would not drink from the same vessel, the same cup as a Samaritan because they believe that that would make them unclean. So what we see here is Jesus 
being radically inclusive. And he's dealing a blow to the prejudicial and biased ways of people both then and honestly today as we unpack this story. The, the woman at the well was a woman, okay? She represented an oppressed minority as a woman, but also as a Samaritan. Uh, she also, as we're going to find out, was a social outcast. But Jesus was neither racist uh, he was not sexist, nor was he an elitist. And so we see the beginning of this woman's transformation as Jesus respects her. He values her. He validates her worth just by having a conversation with her. So let's return to that conversation because I, I want you to see that as he talks to her, he transforms her just by having a meaningful value-giving relationship with her. And so this is the point I want to make. Jesus transforms us by having a relationship with us. So uh, meaningful relationships happen when meaningful conversation uh, goes back and forth between one another and people listen and respond. And so let's see how Jesus transforms the woman at the well by having this meaningful conversation. After she questions him about a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman having a conversation and drinking from the same cup, this is what we read. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she replies, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and, their, and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But, uh, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. I indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So through this back and forth between the woman and Jesus, we see that this conversation has, has turned less adversarial, less defensive. Uh, while the woman is somewhat cautious, there's also uh, some curiosity in what he's talking about. And a relationship is forming. She came to Jacob's well that day, very secure spiritually in her Samaritan worldview. But while she's talking with Jesus about spiritual water, it's clear she's not quite understanding it, but she stays engaged in the conversation because she is spiritually curious. There was something about the reality she was living where drawing water every day in the hot sun was hard work. And this idea of refreshment from living water that she would never have to go and get again, that would just bubble up from within a person interested her, even if she had a rather literal approach to what was going on here. So she replies, she says to Jesus, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, the reality is this, when you read scripture, you can't always see the tone. So we don't really know what the tone was when she made this statement. What was it? Was it deliberate sarcasm? You know, if you're better than Jacob, make my life easier by producing this amazing water which you speak. Or was it just sincere confusion? I have no idea what you're talking about, but if you can channel a stream into the village so I don't have to come out here and get the water, I'm all for that. 
Or was it sort of caustic, caustic selfishness? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, but if you can produce some kind of water in some magical way, let's see it. One, one scholar says this. Perhaps we can best see here a sincere but confused appeal from the one whose life must have been filled with social suffering. So, you know, as an aside here, I want to share with you, if you want to see what this conversation may look like, you've heard me recommend watching the miniseries The Chosen. That first season, episode eight, gives a very dramatic and, and honestly moving presentation of what this conversation between Jesus and the woman of the well may have looked like. I, I would really recommend you watching it. But let's go back to what Jesus said. You, you know, what he says next could have just ended the conversation right there. He says, go, call your husband and come back. And she replies, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now, who you have now, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Again, this could have shut down the entire conversation, but but Jesus knew it wouldn't, and he knew that for this woman to receive the living water that he was offering to her and to all people meant that she had to own her own sinfulness. Now, this woman was tough, okay? She was strong. She had been through a lot. She had faced ridicule. She had faced gossip because of what had happened in her life. Uh, Having this many partners could indicate several things. It could indicate she had an immoral lifestyle. We don't know. It could have meant that she was the victim of exploitation by all of these men. Again, we don't know. It could have meant she was a widow, We don't know. It could have meant that she had been divorced for possibly any of a numerous number of reasons that men could divorce women in the first century. If you didn't have children, you could be divorced. If you burnt dinner, you could be divorced. It was that simplistic and that shallow. Uh, But in her current relationship, Jesus also knew that she was living with somebody. And, And of course, in that culture, that was immoral. Uh, The reality of what had happened in her life had made her a social outcast. That's why she went to the well at noon. She didn't have to deal with the stares, with the comments, with the judgment that was going on in her life. But Jesus wasn't judging her. He wasn't ridiculing her. He was just dealing with the spiritual state uh, this woman was in. Now, as I said, she was strong and she was used to tough conversations, so she pressed on. Uh, Wanting to change the subject and realizing that Jesus was talking about spiritual truth, she takes the conversation in a a different direction, a a theological direction. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus replies, woman, believe me, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And then she replies, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So when, when Jesus says to her, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, he's pointing out this. The, the Samaritans, uh, regard to scripture, they only included the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and De Deuteronomy. That was their Bible. And so they didn't have the rest of the teaching of the Old Testament. They didn't have the prophets and the, and the rest. And so they didn't understand that there was a Savior coming and, and he would come from the Jews but this woman also demonstrates her spiritual curiosity. She wants to understand. And she knows enough about the coming Messiah that when he comes, he will explain everything to her and to everyone. And then Jesus said this. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And there it is. You know, Jesus dropped the mic. You know, he tells her he is the Messiah. He uses that two-word phrase for the name of God that God gave to Moses. He said, I am he. I am was the name that God gave to Moses when Moses asked, who shall I say is sending me to the Egyptians? And for someone to say that would be considered blasphemy. But remember, she's spiritually curious and that doesn't bother her. She is having a conversation now and starting a relationship with God's chosen one, with the Messiah. And she's, she's taking all this in and, and, and processing it immediately. So unfortunately, as we read the scripture, the conversation gets cut short because the disciples show up. But as I said, she's still processing this and what's happened. And, and she's realized that Jesus is not a prophet. That he's something much, much greater. She realizes that she's been in the presence of the Messiah and that he is having a relational conversation with her. She recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah and she recognizes that the Messiah has accepted her just as she is with all of what she's been through in life and that the Messiah sees value in her and worth in her as an individual and as a woman and as a Samaritan, and yes, as a sinful person. Transformation is taking place in her heart. And, and amazingly, she doesn't want to keep this just to herself. Because this is what we read happens next. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So she leaves her water jar because she wants to get back as fast as she can tell the others the good news and because she wants to come back and continue the relationship and the conversation with Jesus. He's got a newfound purpose. And I want you to see that. 
that, that Jesus transforms her and us by giving us purpose. Now, we don't know what her subsequent conversation with Jesus was about, but we can pretty much guess. She's curious. She wants more. But we know that she told everyone that Jesus is the Messiah. She had a new purpose in her life. She's an evangelist. She's telling people about Jesus. And although this woman is an outcast in this town, when they see her coming in, her, she's changed. Her, her personality, her demeanor, her, her desire to connect with people who have judged her and distanced themselves from her has changed. She's been transformed and they see it and they want to see the one that she's speaking about. And this is what we read. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They saw her transformation. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. The people that God sent Jesus to, the, the Jews, the Israelites, rejected him. And now these half-breeds have recognized him as the Messiah. You know, in this story, we see this woman becomes a believer. She becomes a follower of Jesus. Her transformation would cause her to deal with her sin and with her lifestyle. And people would continue to see the transformation in her lives. They would hear from her because now she knew she needed to tell others. And as a result, many more became believers. The transformation that this woman at the well experienced is not unique. It's something that everyone who is presented with faith in Jesus and knowing him and having a relationship can have. And when we accept Jesus by faith, and begin to follow him, our lives are transformed. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he transforms us. You, you heard Cheryl's story about how her faith in Jesus, entering into that relationship, has transformed her life. When we're transformed by Jesus, he gives us a purpose for a living that is greater than anything else in our lives. He accepts us. He loves us. He validates us. The, the Apostle Paul, I shared about that a few weeks ago. He experienced this tr same transformation. And this is what he wrote. He said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, believes in him and follows him, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old person, the old way of life, Behold, the new has come, the new way of life. I hope examining the woman at the well story has challenged your life in two ways. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up because they're going to play a song that I think will be important. But, but here's how I, I hope it's challenged you. First, you need to ask yourself, have I been transformed by Jesus and become a new creation like that woman at the well? And there's only one way you can be transformed by that. It's to believe in Jesus and follow him. 
You know what? I promise you, he's not going to make you do something that's, that's going to make you feel weird or uncomfortable. He's going to take you as you are, and he's going to reveal what it means to believe in him and follow him, and he's going to transform your life. But, but there's something else that's going on here, too, that, that we can't ignore, and that's the fact that Jesus brought his message to all people. To all people, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their gender, regardless of their past. Jesus was radical because he loved all people and he cared about all people and he still loves all people and he still cares about all people. So we have to ask ourselves, if we don't love people like that, have we fully allowed Jesus to transform every area of our lives because he wants us to be fully transformed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.